Turtle power. <laughs> I wonder how many turtle power my truck is. Oh, hey, and welcome back to another episode of the One New Thing podcast. I'm your host, Derek Wallace, joined as always by a sneeze you weren't expecting, Ryan Kukarutz. That's me. Hey. This week, Ryan and I decided it was time to finally put to bed the mysteries surrounding our origins and write ourselves comic book backstories, complete with powers, weaknesses, and a little bit of a gritty upcoming. But before that, Ryan, in keeping with the comic book theme, I was thinking maybe you could tell me about your week, but in uh, one of those movie trailer in a world voices. Oh, okay, man. It's... A great idea, Derek, because with how boring our weeks are and in the world to try and hype up nothing is pretty funny. So let me try. <clears throat> in a world where the outside world is but a memory, where meeting new people is a bumble-only activity, one man waited patiently for the world to not end. Distracted only by his trusty Netflix and a bunch of little activities that kept him busy... He just existed this week. I think that would be it for my whole week, man. <laughs> Bleak, dude. I didn't do anything. I can't hype that up. Yeah, I suppose that is true. I worked, and I watched Netflix, and I did podcast shit. Yeah, but <laughs> at least I got to hear about it this week in a, like a cool, bassy voice. As bassy as my nasally-ass voice can get, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Derek? Return the favor. Let me hear your in-a-world voice. Um... In a world where in order to become an electrician, one man must complete a final IP exam. He studies day in and day out the same 28 fucking questions about motors and runs in, finally, against all odds to complete that IP exam, which he feels pretty confidently about, but won't know his marks for about another six weeks. And in that world, this one man decides to spoil himself by buying a cast iron pan. Boom. Thanks, Ryan. That is the most exciting you could have made that story. But congratulations on being done the test, man. I know that that's been a big stressor for you for a while. I feel confidently about it. I did that thing where, like, I go through and I checked all of the questions I wrote and, like, picked out anyone that I might have possibly gotten wrong by virtue of, like, not knowing it or even just, you know, maybe I fucked up a calculation or something like that. And even if I get 100% of those ones wrong, I should still be passing with the mark I need. So... I'm feeling good, but of course, time can only tell. Yeah, 100%, dude. I'll hit that early. Yeah, I think what's more exciting than the IP for me is really just owning a cast iron pan. Well, you got to be very careful with those. Have you owned a cast iron pan before, my friend? No, dogs. my first one ever. It's This is like a really entry-level one. I didn't get a super nice one. There's a deal going on at Canadian Tire right now. Thanks for sponsoring this podcast, where they're just selling like seven-inch cast iron pans for like 25 bucks. I don't own one either, but when I go to my brother's house, if I'm going to cook something there, my brother's like, don't fucking touch that cast iron pan. There's very specific instructions on how to wash it, how to dry it, what you need to do. Yeah, you got to like temper and clean them and everything. I've been doing a fair bit of research, but any, hey, listeners at home, if you know anything about cast iron pans, hit me up in the DMs before I ruin this thing's pH balance. 
<laughs> we're getting so fucking old, dude. <laughs> you just superhero voice read about a cast iron pan that you got, and we were both genuinely excited for a second. You think for one second that doesn't make us seem so hot? This kind of sexy maturity, Ryan, is proof that this podcast is coming into its own. Yeah, well, too bad I can't really show that on Bumble. I need to think of an opening line with a cast iron pan. Hey, man, when I come out for the after-season rap party, I'll take a bunch of very sexy photos of you podcasting. There we go. I like it. And in the in the Bumble bio, I'll say, my friend owns a cast iron pan. What up? <laughs> Definitely include that. But anyways, before we take this digression into the tenth minute, uh, <laughs> I think I should probably get down to it, Ryan. Comic book origin stories, dude. How did this go for you? Comic book origin stories, man. Well, let me take you back to a world uh, last week where you told me I was going to be doing this. <laughs> I had to animate it. It was exciting. I, I was excited. I like doing creative shit. It sounded like a creative thing. If you have listened to this podcast, you know with Ryan, the emotion immediately following excitement <laughs> is always fear and panic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> instantly uh, overthink what to do and then remember that you're going to be listening to us talk about these things. So then I got the anxiety and I struggled for a while uh, with that. So I took to some research. I actually did a little bit of research this week. I read some origin stories from some other superheroes. I honestly ended up watching Ninja Turtle movies, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the live action one? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, those things so, fuck, dude. Yeah, those things fuck. So that's what ended up happening in my research. I researched for about 30 minutes, and then I watched two Ninja Turtle movies. So once I had a good little back knowledge of origin stories, mainly how the turtles became the turtles. Primordial ooze of some kind? There was an ooze. There was an ooze in the sewers, and there was some turtles down there with a rat. That's what I did for the early preparation. And then I decided, Ryan, you don't need to fucking panic. You're the smartest guy alive. Yes, it is me, the most beloved member of this abysmal show, Sir Ryan Kukrutz, vassal of the Queen's Republic of Calgary, back once again to bestow the listener with the gift of my sweet, sweet voice and the knowledge base of the most infamous of Greek philosophers. I have gotta say, Ryan, at what point is it unhealthy for me to play into this delusion of yours? Oh, squibble squabble, how are you, Derek, my dear boy, today? <laughs> I'm doing quite well, Ryan, how are you? Honestly, Derek, I'm a little upset that I was brought here today because this week we are exploring the childish sentiments of comic book superheroes. Yeah, I guess they only had Gilgamesh back when you were a kid. Oh, delicious. Derek, you swag-bellied pigeon egg. As always, we like to begin this show by going over a definition and a brief history of the subject matter. So, in 300 words or less, my young ward... Oh, come on. Please give me the definition of superhero, followed by a brief history of the term itself. Okay, uh, let's say superhero is a archetypical comic book, or I guess not necessarily just comic book, but a media character who has a positive moral compass and also features either in superhuman powers or abilities that make them more than the common man. And then you wanted a origin or genesis of the word i would assume that the term superhero began in like 1920s newspaper comic strips 
would be my guess. Oh, Derek, you onion idol out you. I want you to stifle back those tears as I correct you once again. According to Mike Benton, a United States comic authority who wrote the Taylor History of Comics nonfiction series for the Taylor Publishing Company, although the term superhero was used early as 1917 to describe a public figure of great talents or accomplishments, okay. the early comic book heroes of the 1940s were usually referred to by their creators as costumed characters, or as long underwear or union suit heroes. They were also called mystery men. Nonetheless, the superhero word itself would catch on and has been established and growing throughout American pop culture since. Huh, so I was kind of close on my timeline for when it was started being used, but I was so very wrong on who they were using it for. Fair enough. Derek. Yeah, Ryan? Alan Moore is famous as the creator of Watchmen, okay. at least among comic readers and critics, for its layered portrayal of vigilantes. However, originally, Moore had no intentions of creating said famous characters. Who did he want to use? Instead of the Watchmen? Uh, I would assume the Avengers. Unfortunately, you are incorrect as per usual. Ugh, was it the Justice League? Moore was a creator for DC and wanted to use DC characters who were lesser known, such as The Question and Blue Beetle. Oh. But DC forced him to create his own characters when Moore notified them he intended to kill some of the characters off. Right. Derek, most would agree that Marvel and DC have a stranglehold on the comic book market. Sure. However, Image also has a small portion. Please give me the percentages of markets owned by each in the correct order of market share. All right, we'll say DC leads with 48% of the market share. Marvel is shortly behind at 46% of the market share. And then Image has six. Derek, my dear boy, what do we say about close again? Uh, horseshoes and hand grenades, Ryan. No, no, no. We say that you rarely are. <laughs> you did have image correct in third with 10.12% of the market share. Okay. Second place, DC at 33.93% of the market share. Sure. And it is led by Marvel with 38.3% of the market share. Well, there you have it. Derek... The German psychiatrist, Frederick Wertham, was one of the main figures who helped desegregate schools in America with his studies on the psychological effects of segregation being used in the case against segregation. However, comic book fans do not remember Wertham as fondly. What is he remembered for in this universe? Um, I am gonna guess that he was concerned about the psychological effects of violence in comic books on children. Great Scott, Derek. You are nearly correct. Huh, good for me. Wertham criticized the violence and sexual suggestive content in comics in his book Seduction of the Innocent. Oh my gosh. Which sounds like a comic itself. Wertham's most famous critique is that the Batman and Robin relationship had homoerotic undertones. Bruh! Batman and Robin were like father and son, or uncle and nephew. Yes, you know what they say, Derek, is it doesn't matter how many schools you desegregate, if you're a homophobe, you're still a homophobe. <laughs> Just put that on a t-shirt. Derek, most people do not know that Tim Burton was set to direct a Superman movie called Superman Lives. Sure. Who did he have cast as Superman? <laughs> Doesn't Tim Burton only ever use Johnny Depp in anything? 
Wait, 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 wait. Benico Del Toro. Incorrect. Would you like to take another step? Go ahead. That guy from No Country for Old Men. Say some more names. Javier Bardem. Michael Keaton? No, he was already in Batman. Uh... Tim Burton's Batman starred George Clooney. Who would he put against George Clooney for Superman? Tim Burton's Superman would have to be George Clooney's best friend, Brad Pitt. Fantastic guess. However, the correct answer was the ever-captivating and emotive, evocative Nicolas Cage. No way! God, I would love to see Nicolas Cage portray Superman. Like... He's got that, like, underlying lunacy that would make just an unsettling Superman. Could you imagine if Nicolas Cage had god powers, man? Like, woo-wee. Derek, when people think of comic books, they often go towards the Batmans and the Spider-Mans and the Supermans. However, in 1992, Image Comics brought out their own sort of hero, one would say, in Spawn. Who was the creator of Spawn? Oh, man, I should know this. It's not Frank Miller... God, I can't remember, but I, I remember him having a name that sounds like a different celebrity's name. <sighs> the age-old answer of, I know this when you tell me. <laughs> the correct answer I was looking for, of course, was Todd McFarlane. Oh yeah, Todd McFarlane, like Seth McFarlane. Yes, but not Seth McFarlane. I need you to have that distinction corrected as Todd McFarlane. <laughs> Derek, you're familiar with the character, the Hulk, of course? Of course. I know him incredibly well. Ah... Uh, you know how they say sarcasm is the lowest form of wit? <laughs> sure, yeah. That is, of course, because puns do not take any wit at all. Pfft, come on, Ryan, you can call me Frank Castle. Frank Castle? Because I'm the pun-isher. Pew, pew. Well, you know what they say, Derek, every brain must have his pinky. <laughs> <laughs> Narf. Well, we all know the Hulk is green. However, that was not the original plan. Originally, what color was he supposed to be? And why was it changed? I know at a later point in the series there is a red Hulk, but let's say originally he was probably... Probably purple? Ooh, incorrect, but I don't know what I was expecting here. Uh, okay, how about pink and they changed it because he looked like a big naked guy? Amusing, Derek. However, originally, the Hulk, Bruce Banner himself, was supposed to appear gray. Oh, and then he was going to look like a big rock guy. However, the reason for the change was far less conceptual and more practical. The printing press kept messing up the printing, and the Hulk kept being green. Instead of dealing with the issue, the Hulk stayed gray for a few issues before they decided because of the issues with the printing press, he would become green. Bet you that made those guys work in the comic book pretty angry. And I bet you wouldn't like them when they're angry. Moving on, Derek, William Moulton Marston was a Harvard psychologist who created the first lie detector machine in 1913. What is his connection to the world of comic books? Um, he studied the stimulation comic books give the brain? Ah, Derek. Sometimes I think my mere presence intimidates you so much that you try to overreach for answers as William Moulton Marston created Wonder Woman in 1941. <laughs> 
good for him. That's groovy. Some say the lie detector was sort of like the early lasso of truth. Oh man, there's the connection I needed. That that makes sense. Okay, but he but he hated liars. Derek, would you consider yourself knowledgeable in the world of the X-Men? I know a little bit. Like I played a bunch of the video games in hotels as a kid. As we all know, the X-Men is an ever-growing, ever-expanding group of characters who hold mutant capabilities. So, for the sake of our listeners who might not be familiar, Derek, please list 10 X-Men. Okay, 10. Uh, we got Beast, Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Rogue, Jean Grey slash Dark Phoenix, Iceman, Kitty Pride, um, Nightcrawler, Gambit. There is... Colossus, there is... Actually, that, that's 11. I only know 11. <laughs> oh, yeah. Professor X, 12. Oh, Jubilee, 13. Derek, I... I am at a loss for words right now. <laughs> of all the episodes, I have come on and presented you with so, so many opportunities at lists, and not one single time have you been able to complete one. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, there's like 70 X-Men. No, no, no. I don't want you to not take credit for your accomplishment here. The world must know that Derek Wallace, the peasant himself, can name 13 X-Men. This is a great accomplishment. <laughs> oh, shit, I need to update my resume. Congrats, dear boy. Now that I know, Derek, that you are such an expert on the X-Men, I can take the child gloves off, so to say, and oh. ask you some deep-cutting questions. <laughs> Take off the child of gloves and pull out the adamantium claws, eh? Uh, amusing. In the Uncanny X-Men series, episode 505, oh, no. Madison Jeffries is the real name of what character? Um, Madison. I'm gonna have to clean guess. Is that Negasonic Teenage Warhead? The answer, Derek. 14 X-Men. Was Box. <laughs> <laughs> box. <laughs> And this was another episode of Facts and Stats. Woo! With names like Boxman, you mustn't have had any trouble coming up with a comic book character. Apparently the bar is pretty low. That simplified it so much. So yeah, I was armed with all this knowledge. I had my backstory slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle watching done. It was time to just get writing, man. And when I started to write, the hardest decision I had to make and the one I agonized the most over was, am I going to be funny or serious? And will this be a vigilante or a superhero? Right. That is honestly where most of my pain came. So I came to the decision that I was going to write a serious vigilante slash hero and also a funny one. So you did double the work. Nope. I started to. <laughs> <laughs> I started with a funny one, Derek, and I got really into his backstory. <laughs> Good. Like a nice long backstory and it was it, like funny, but if it wasn't hilarious who this superhero was, like the dark story would be kind of vigilante serious. Right. So it's almost a combination of the two, honestly. But yeah, so I just started writing and then I ended up doing just this freaking corny little freaking funny superhero character, you know? I look forward to hearing it. So should I read you my hero's backstory and then talk about my hero? Yeah, definitely. Because again, the criteria, Ryan, where you needed a backstory, you needed powers or abilities, you needed to be able to describe the costume, and you needed to have a weakness, like a kryptonite. Correct. 
Now, the costume, I do not have written down because it fluctuates in my head, but I do have additional aliases. Ooh. I also have catchphrases. I also have a supervillain <laughs> and a supervillain's catchphrase. Actually, you've got yourself 90% of a comic book here, buddy. Also, I'm just going to give everyone a warning right now. This is ridiculous, okay? <laughs> but... <laughs> Let me begin. Now, in 1985, a Ukrainian-Canadian named Boris was a gravel pit foreman by day and a family man and amateur agricultural geneticist by night. Boris was troubled by the low crop yields in his home province of Manitoba. He spent his nights in his garage lab experimenting to solve the problem until one fateful night in early 1986, he stumbled upon a discovery that would change the world. He had successfully modified a corn seed that could grow year-round without compromising any of its nutritional properties. <laughs> he quickly spread the word to all of Manitoba. Unfortunately for Boris, some farmers had been bought off by an agricultural geneticist with sinister plans, Dr. Monsanto. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Monsanto had been doing his own modifications on crops, not for the sake of the people, but rather to line his pockets with infinite wealth. Sacrificing nutrition for profit, catching word of Boris's corn strain had him furious. Wow, this is some, like, deep Manitoban lore here. Yeah, also, it's just a shot of Monsanto. After Boris refused a large buyout attempt for his silence, Dr. Monsanto had a basket of beets delivered to Boris's doorstep. <laughs> Little did he know that Boris's son, Robert, his wife, Andrea, and their six-month-old, Ryan, were house-sitting for Boris while he attended Dauphin Country Fest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this shit is just so steeped in, like, very taut Manitoban lore. I'm all about this so far. And I was worried that you were writing a backstory for Boris, but it's good to see that we're transitioning into the Ryan side of things here. <laughs> yeah, it's a big story, man. Ryan doesn't show up for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Delighted by the gift, Robert quickly peeled and boiled the beets for a wonderful supper of steak, Boris's resilient corn on the cob, and borscht. Mm. Little did they know that the beets had been genetically modified to release a poison when heated. One sip of that borscht and Rob and Andrea were dead. No, orphans. What about the boy, you ask? <laughs> Small children do not like beets. <laughs> I love it so much of the stories hinging on the fact that children don't care for beets. <laughs> Well, there's more. They do, however, love creamed corn. <laughs> Boris's corn. <laughs> when Boris returned, he returned to the horror of his son and his daughter-in-law dead on the ground with beet-stained teeth and an infant crying over his parents. He knew it was the beets as his eye as an amateur geneticist <laughs> could Because <laughs> <laughs> even the most amateur geneticist can spot a poison visually on a beet. Well, his eye as an amateur geneticist could tell immediately that these beets were much larger and less vibrant than regular beets. <gasps> From this day forward, Boris would raise Ryan to avenge his parents' death training him in the arts of Ukrainian fight dancing and pickle barrel tossing in his basement prairie dojo. <laughs> <laughs> 
In fear that Dr. Monsanto would murder his other children, Boris never released his corn seeds and watched the evil tyrant corner the agricultural market and become the wealthiest man in the world. Wow. Instead, Boris went from an amateur agricultural geneticist to an amateur human geneticist with a goal of making human cells as resilient as his corn was, able to survive the most severe of conditions and trauma. As Ryan reached his mid-twenties, he'd become strong as an ox and a highly trained fight dancer. <laughs> First off, Ryan, I said you had to come up with a fictional backstory. All of this actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> However, another tragedy was about to strike as Boris had become ill. <gasps> Ryan watched in horror as his grandfather and mentor's condition slowly deteriorated and worsened. Ryan sat by his bedside that final evening and begged his grandfather to tell him more. With his dying breath, Boris muttered two statements. One, the serum is not ready, boy. And two, Dr. Monsanto. Enraged and overcome with heartache, Ryan ransacked his grandfather's home, punching through cabinets and walls like, better, <laughs> like butter melting on the cob, fluid and effortless. Suddenly, he found himself inside of his grandfather's workshop. Grandfather had spent many secretive nights in this workshop. As he wept, he suddenly became filled with rage and smashed his fist through the desk, which popped open a secret compartment on the wall in front of him. The only thing inside was a single vial, the serum. Oh no, the serum. He grabbed it, and with a head full of hate and a heart full of sorrow, Ryan pulled off the lid and drank the contents. In this moment, he did not fear death. Suddenly, his stomach was hit with a sharp pain, and he fell to a knee. He could feel his body changing on a cellular level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Suddenly, he couldn't feel the frigid cold of the garage floor. He watched the cuts on his wounded knuckles heal. Standing up, he felt a power surge through his fists. When suddenly, the skin on his fist started to blister. No. He looked on in horror. These weren't blisters. He was kerneling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 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 He spent the next five years in the shadows, working on his Bedouinsky, his Pideshenko, his Haidu Kruch, and his Verentano. <laughs> Those are real Ukrainian dance terms, by the way. <laughs> and building pickle barrels to toss, smash, and pickle things. <laughs> Finally, after years of seclusion, Ryan was able to accept who he was and set off to avenge his parents and his grandfather. The evil Dr. Monsanto would soon rue the day he crossed the Kukrut's family. Because for the rest of his life, he would always have to look over his shoulder and hope he wasn't being corn-stalked by Ryan, a.k.a. the Colonel. The Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> so that's the backstory. Oh, my goodness. Any comments on the backstory before we go into the rest of the stuff I wrote? I, what could I say? That was a sweeping epic. I, uh... Definitely didn't write that much for you, so, uh-oh. That's fair. I just got really into it. Yeah, I can tell, dude. Do you remember that show, The Tick? Mm-hmm. It's got tick vibes to me in a little bit. That's honestly, like, that's what I was thinking. That's the headspace you're in? Yeah, it shows, man. It's got that kind of, like, pseudo-serious, like, grandiose corniness, I guess I should say, to it. And before everyone asked me why I didn't go with the obvious corncob man, that was a real villain in a TV show, like, back in the day. Like, I googled corncob man because I was like, there's got to be a corncob man. And it is. It's like a stock of corn that's all mad with arms. It's so funny. I thought long and hard about what his name should be, and I went with the colonel. Which is hilarious. Pretty funny. Ryan, this is 
stellar. Truly, I'm ex- I'm exhilarated to talk about this. I gotta know, what's his catchphrase here before we touch on powers? What was the catchphrase you said you wrote? This is my favorite super cheesy one. When he wins a fight, he says, Congratulations, you just got your ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely here for that. So you said Dr. Monsanto had a catchphrase? Yeah, alright, so Dr. Monsanto, who is a billionaire agricultural geneticist and all-around bad guy, his catchphrase is, Let's pop this motherfucker. Oh, like a pill, pill popper. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get sued by Monsanto. Oh, we could, but it, uh, whatever. Whatever, they, we have nothing. Let them take it. Hey, Monsanto, if you don't want us to talk shit, sponsor this podcast. Yeah, brought to you in part global villain Monsanto. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the company once deemed the most evil company on the planet. So you kind of briefly outlined the powers, but do you want to give me like a full rundown on the powers the colonel has? So I have a list of his superpowers. I wrote these funny. I just want to say I had a really good time doing this. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it, brother. His first superpower is the toughness and resiliency of of Boris's modified corn seed. It's his first superpower. That is a classic. I remember that from the origin. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to really think hard of this second one, Derek, because I don't want to spell it out for the audience. But once you get it, it is very funny. Okay. Kernelized skin resistant to all acids found in the human stomach. <laughs> right, Ryan, because uh, you always poop corn out the exact yeah, same exactly. way. Exactly. <laughs> I dare you to throw potassium chloride and sodium chloride and a little bit of hydroxyl chloride on me. <laughs> dare you. <laughs> Won't do anything. Oh, man. Then his next superpower, the brute strength of an immigrant barrel tosser. <laughs> And finally, he's a master of Ukrainian fight dancing. (laughs) I fucking love it. Shit, at least we know what you're publishing next, dude. (laughs) Honestly, this would be so much fun to write. Oh, man. Your powers, they work. They're funny. They're corn-themed. There's, like, it, it, it all ties in. There's not much I have to ask. I, I think, honestly, just before this gets away on us, we should roll into your kryptonite. What's the colonel's weakness? Electromagnetic radiation. <laughs> Microwave. Concentrated UV rays. <laughs> yeah. Electric heaters, stovetops. Honestly, just direct contact with any heat source that exceeds 180 degrees Celsius. <laughs> And I researched the popping point of popcorn. Yeah. The heat, it's 180 degrees Celsius. So don't put the kernel into an oven and set that bitch for 180 Celsius. You're in trouble. But yeah, that was everything. That was my origin story, dog. That's my hero. I fucking love it, and you're my hero. <laughs> wow. Just wow. You went above and beyond, Doug. I, I kind of picked something a little smaller this week because I had so much exam prep to do, and I kind of wanted to be able to coast. And uh, you did the work for both of us. It, this is It's been a while since we've seen these polar lines drawn between try hard and not try at all. And it's good to be back. It's really great to be back in this comfort zone for myself here, right? Great work. I love the Colonel. It was a lot of fun. I Honestly, thank you for picking this one. I had fun doing this. But what about you now? Unless there's anything else you want to explore about the Colonel, it's a pretty straightforward comedic character. Nothing to really dive into. R.I.P. Rob and Andy. Sorry I killed you in my backstory. Every great hero's an orphan. Yeah, they'll get it. My dad loves Batman. He calls himself Bat Grandpa. <laughs> Do you know what? Honestly, Ryan, I feel like your like 12-page origin story covered most of my questions. Answered my shit. Checked my boxes. I feel good. I feel good about it, too. Well, let me hear yours. And don't worry if you don't have a saga like I had. It just <laughs> kind of happened. Well, okay, so comic books are something I know a little bit about. But kind of the character development side of things is obviously new to both of us. Um, and so I knew right out of the gate I was going to find an interview for this one. Um, the very first thing I did was, of course... 
mull over some ideas and kind of try to get some framework for what I wanted, but I ended up getting a hold of a gentleman from Quebec by the name of Kevin Rodatelli. He's the head editor for licensed titles at Behemoth Comics. He's also a comic book writer and creator of brand new graphic novel, Freak Snow. One thing I do want to say, actually, is he was great in the interview and he's got a lot of very interesting stuff to say, but we had a bit of uh, audio trouble between the two of us. So this is a bit of a squeak warning on the interview, but I reached out to Kevin Rodatelli to see what he thought it took to be an interesting comic book writer. All right. So Kevin, first and foremost, man, I want to ask what makes an interesting and well-rounded comic book writer? Um, I think the most interesting thing for a comic book writer is actually that there is always a reason for everything. I think the most important thing when you, when you create something in comic book or films or anything that is actually a fictional story, it's asking yourself why. Why this character has this ability? Why does character look like that? Why this character is doing this? When your audience or your reader asks himself why it's where you lose them. But if you always have the answer to this question, then you got a great story and you got a great character. That's the best I think way to actually build something, just always asking yourself why. So characters with well-established motivations help mm-hmm. kind of be the, the prime mover for story in a lot of case. And if the significance yep. of story and backstory for a character motivation establishment is so important, when you're creating a new character, how far do you get into the character design before you start writing that origin story? It's, it's really depend on who is collaborating with me or uh, who is part of the project because some artists, you know, that they're super fucking dope with design. So you're just like, oh, make me a design. And after I'm going to create something around that character that your guys and design inspired me right. uh, story-wise. Or sometimes just like, you know that this character needs to look like that, have those abilities and stuff like that. And after you build around the character is well and you, you start asking the why question for everything around the characters but it's, it's really deep in of the collaborator because most of the time comics is super collaborative medium so of course you always have this impact uh, from, from your collaborator that did bring something to the character after you bring something and it's just like a, a common effort of uh building greatness you know so so th- there is many ways to achieve uh, of getting a great character, and I think that there is multiple factors. There is the why question I'm always talking about, <laughs> and also uh, what's popular at the moment, what's what's connect with people. Like sure. you, you can actually uh, compare you your EP that you're creating to the characters that are raising millions of dollars of box office, or you could actually say what is missing in in the box office or in right. the book market at the moment, and just fill the, that gap with this character. So there is many factors that will make something popular or good depending on when it's dropped. I mean, the release date is a lot to do with the popularity of something and why it's going to be good. Because sometimes, and I will say most of the time, the really good story don't have a commercial success because they were not marketed at the right time and well. Right. Um, marketing for a book or a character is easily uh, 80% of the success of a story and the popularity of it. Because if you tell, it, it's funny, like, for example, there are some movies that are cult and got a cult following. Yes. That we're not big yet at the moment. But there's a community or a company behind that, that keep telling people, oh, this is a cult movie. So we all start believing that it's cool, but at the moment, <laughs> it's, it just actually sells 20,000 uh, tickets, for example, in theaters. 
it's all about, I think that the success of a character, it's not the character being good, it's actually all confident you are uh, into your character and making believe to the people that it's a great one. It's, it's all about being confident. Like, like for example, when you date a girl or a man or whatever, when you go into dating, if you don't believe in yourself, you could be like the ugliest person on earth. <laughs> but if you're super confident, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee that you can get some fucking odd chicks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, confidence is key, backstory is key, motivation is key, as far as character development is concerned. But once once we've gotten this character be it through collaboration or licensed property or what have you what do we do with that character i i i've seen a lot of arcs where obviously the archetypical storyline is our character starts weak gets strong and that power scaling comes why is that such a popular story that that type of story will never stop to be present in the fictional world and the, the reason why is pretty simple because everyone what we like most of the time is what had an impact on us when we were a child. So as a child, you, you have like a lot of dreams. I mean, most of the human beings stop dreaming. I'm not one of them, but at some point, the society and the system tell us, oh, you can't dream, you need to take a job and just be like uh, someone in the machine. So people want to read stories that can make them dream again dream dream to be this character that's why right. spider-man for example is so popular because it's a child a teenager that uh, decided to to be the hero and, and continue to dream it's all about continuing to dream so that's why major characters are popular most of the time because you you got that dream feel that people are looking at and, and, and just getting inspired with because they, they are all at their day job and they hate their job. So <laughs> reading the comics and watching the movies, they're like, oh, I wish I was that character. But it, it's, it's kind of sad when we think about it because you could be that character if you take your motivation, your courage, everyone has passion and dreams and just taking the courage to actually pursue that, that lifestyle and career that you dream have. I really wish that your character that you're going to create and what people create can inspire others to just say, fuck to their boss <laughs> and go live their dreams. Wanting to be able to identify with characters, certainly at the beginning of stories, and then grow with them and grow through them must be so important for grabbing an audience. And I guess I never put two and two together to realize that if my character was introduced to me as already super powerful far along in their story then it would become more difficult and dissociative for me to connect with them from where i'm at in my own life right it's, it's come back to the question of why like when you create something it's always asking why like if you start directly with a character having power and fighting shit the audience will ask himself why like why this character is powerful and if you don't give the, the question the answer to the question directly at the beginning there is no way that you attract the audience because they want to identify to the character and understanding why, what did happen to this guy? Why Spider-Man can true webs? Why is hiding his identity? Why, you know, right. so I think Spider-Man is the, the greatest character of all time created in the comic book because there is an answer to all is why and the character as well being a teenager and a New Yorker, someone that has lost his parents, that is living with his aunt and is from this really rich family and deal with some rich uh, teenager friend. There is like all the factors to be connecting with everyone. Everyone that reads Spider-Man can connect with something. 
from the story. So that's why I think it's the greatest treasure. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I feel the exact same way. Growing up, Spider-Man was my favorite as well. I, I There's something about Peter Parker and the lippy, mouthy superhero and like the, the rambunctious kid elements that I found really intriguing. But as I, as I grew with Spider-Man, I found that part of what I enjoyed as much as the banter and the quips and the powers was that the character was three-dimensional and had as many weaknesses and flaws as he did actual powers. And totally. I'm, I'm curious, what is the importance of flaw and weakness in a well-developed character? It's actually the most important thing, because it's actually to what everyone's going to relate more. Because if it's just power, like, your comic's going to be cool, but there is no reason to read it, you know. Since, like, like I said, most of the characters and why people love those characters, it's based on not accomplishing who they were and what, what, what they dreamed were. So if they see a character having flaws like themselves, you, it's way easier to identify as a, as a reader to say, oh, this character is anxious like me, you know, of living through life. So they, they really connect with that character. A great character is a character that you, the audience can see themselves in the book. And and that's why flaws is, is really important for a character because everyone going to see themselves in the character, if uh, he is depressed, if he is stressed about a situation, if he is in love with a girl but is not uh, able to tell her and stuff like that. So it's important to put element of life into it and stress and fear and all those kind of things that everyone can be like, oh, I've lived that in my life and just feel that for 20 pages they are in the comics, you know. So that's, that's something super important for a character to be sure that it's successful when people love it is actually that they have the same fear and stress of life than themselves. That was something that I always felt was kind of missing in a lot of DC superheroes for me. They seem to be, well, I've heard it said that in Marvel comics, I mean, just to use kind of the two titans of the comic industry in Marvel comics, there are books about men learning to be heroes. And in DC, it was a lot of books about heroes learning to be men. It's totally right. And, and I think that's why both are great, uh, because they're not doing the same thing and they have a different approach. I do, I do prefer personally DC, and that's Terry Rice. I understand why Marvel connects with so many people, because they are from the human perspective, like you saw. So, so that's why the MCU was so popular, because everyone right off the bat could, could connect with those characters and say, oh, this is my character. You know, the reason why people wear Iron Man t-shirts, Spider-Man t-shirt, a Hulk t-shirt is because they identify that character because of his backstory. But with DC, it's way harder because, well, Superman identity is actually is an alien trying to be human. But at the same time, it's something you can connect with because Superman is an immigrant character. So if you're from another country, you come to the United States or a pirate war and stuff like that you will directly connect with Superman in a, a complete other way than actually Marvel does, that you're actually connecting with the character. With DC, you're connecting with the situation, with the life of the character. Batman is um, a rich kid that actually tried to to find his own path in that world that he is not connecting. So it's most of the time characters that are trying to fit in the mold of the society and actually find their own path into this thing. So that's, that's the other way to see storytelling, like turning the question in the other sense. Personally, I think that DC characters are more interesting because of that, but that Marvel characters has way more power and a potential to connect with larger audience. Right. 
because again, like we were discussing earlier, that low power to some power to high power growth story is an easy one to tell. But to make a relatable character like Superman, who has all of this power kind of just by virtue of being on a planet with different gravity and sunlight, but the otherness he feels as being the only one of his uh, kind in on the planet Earth or in existence at all, that otherness makes him a flawed and dimensional and relatable character, despite being, you know, a god amongst men, power-wise. Oh, and that's why the Zack Snyder's movies are fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the guy fighting for those fucking movies, dude. <laughs> they are so good, but I understand why I did not connect, because everyone is looking, like, the MCU for 15 years has been making like blueprint for superheroes moving because DC is more in the metaphor of you need to analyze a character. What is it about? And has this kind of archy felt to it, even if it's superheroes. Definitely. Well, Kevin, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, but I do have one last question. Just um, back to Go character creation. I'm Mike Tyson in the ring right now. <laughs> <laughs> My final question is just as a jumping point, We've discussed character creation at great length here, and you've made it clear that answering the question why, establishing motivation, creating flaw and weakness, power scaling, connecting with your audience, and being conscious with yourself as well to piece parts of your real life into these characters is an important element to make a good and three-dimensional character. But my final question, as a beginner who's never tried to write a comic book character before, what's the first step? Go into your inner self. Think and, and be honest to yourself. Don't lie. What is your problem in life? What did it affect you? Is it your first broke up? Is it your, the death of your dad? Is it your... Ask the question, what did destroy you as a human being? We all have something inside that we know did art a lot and still art us. And I think that's the easiest way to write a great story for the first time. Go deep into yourself and ask the question, what did art... I think the thing that hurt us the most, it's all things that everyone can relate. Because what are a human being is what the society has put in our mind that could hurt us. You know, we're not born into the matrix uh, with, with stuff that are put into our brain that we know that, oh, this is bad, this is sad, and stuff like that. It's the city and, and what we, what our parents and stuff like that have been told that make humans sad. Like, oh, death of someone makes humans sad broke up makes humans sad like the society tell you that and if the society tell you that everyone can relate to that so if you tackle that and you can go in happiness but it's always easier to go deep in emotion i think for, for first book deep in emotion with sadness because it's really easier to connect with your sad moment than actually your really really happy moment you know because Everyone has failure, but not everyone has success in life, you know, uh, major success. So going deep in your sadness is uh, <laughs> it's the best way to make a great comics for the first time and yes, it's the way. Well, that's excellent advice. That's That's not at all the advice I was expecting, but that's why I've got to make these calls, my man, because I wouldn't have gone to, I think, find the darkest place in yourself as a starting point, but what really connected with me there was just when you said we don't all have success, but we do all have failure, and that that resonates. That makes a ton of sense to me as far as creating a relatable, understandable, and you know, a character worth appreciating. Yeah, that's a great code. I should do like a, <laughs> a real photo of me, like looking to the sky with like uh, a big, a big tower from New York City or something like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, picking your brain has been excellent, and I can't wait to put some of this into practice. Hell yeah, man. I can't wait to see your shit. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Have a nice day, and I can't wait to listen to this show. And thank you for everyone listening to your show. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you again. Bye-bye. Bye. That guy knows so much more about the comic book world than me. Like, that's not hard to say, but he clearly knew so much more than you as well. And yeah. <laughs> I am excited to hear what your character is all about because listening to him, there's no way the colonel would exist because that is definitely not built out of any like deep, dark trauma or any insecurities. Like That was just a fun mock of a character. So I'm excited to see what you got. So what did you do next? Well, I did try to internalize what he was saying about trying to find you know something you were uncomfortable with or a flaw or whatever and try to write from that place. I didn't want to go full-blown parents murdered by a chemical titan. I wanted powers that reflected some of what I deemed to be my kind of weaknesses, make them strengths was kind of what I was going for. But anyways, let me start with my significantly shorter backstory. On a moonlit night in Winnipeg, Manitoba, young electrician Derek Wallace is called to wire a lightning rod atop of a chemical engineering plant. (laughs) (laughs) While wiring this lightning rod, a sudden burst of otherworldly light flashes from the sky, trickles down the rod, and through Derek. The combination of the electrical power of the lightning strike and the residual chemicals on his clothing from the chemical engineering plant he was working in, his molecular structure begins to shift, and he goes from being an electrician by day to becoming Kid Cloud. Ooh, Kid Cloud. Yes, sir. I like that name. I think that name is fire. Now, originally I wanted to call myself the Human Cloud, but then I realized that I was a vapor-themed hero with THC as initials, and it was just far... Uh (laughs) 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 It was just far too weed-themed, so So I pulled back on that shit. That's super funny. So Derek Wallace becomes Kid Cloud, the man with all of the powers of a cumulus cloud. (laughs) Okay, well, I have some questions about your backstory. Great backstory. (laughs) I have questions on just some aspects I don't understand in general. Sure. Derek, what are lightning rods for? Because they are such a central theme and so (laughs) many... (laughs) <laughs> like um, superhero stories or like electrocutions. So What's a lightning rod for? Well, basically, a lightning rod is used for exactly what you'd think it'd be used for, Ryan. Its job is to be the ideal placement for a lightning strike in areas where lightning is a problem. So if I had a building full of explosive or dangerous chemicals, I probably don't want that thing getting struck by electricity. So I build a lightning rod and then I use down conductors and I take them to the ground conductor and grounding electrodes to quickly dissipate a lightning strike to ground without fire my shit up makes sense okay second question <laughs> in what issue would we find out where that otherworldly light came from now that otherworldly light I've, I've tied with it a bit on the one hand it could just be dead ass lightning but on the other hand i like to think that there is a greater team of weather based titans there has to be i agree with you there has to be because it would not say otherworldly if it wasn't otherworldly it's true i it's knew true. you were toying with that so what issue do we find out about this other world that would be like straight up 40 or 50 in like we have to do so much just kind of go through the motions establish character establish backstory it'd be very very late 
great that you start to find those origins. That's like the origins of the origins. Perfect. So are you filled with vapor or are you a cloud? Now that's one of the powers here. My guy, I can transition from normal form to a gaseous form like a cloud ryan accompanied with all of the weightlessness the flotation that sort of thing but it's so like very very slow wind driven flight <laughs> very very slow wind driven flight <laughs> it's one of the funniest superpowers of all time <laughs> other powers include static lightning strikes and the ability to rain at the expense of some of my mass until I recollect that rain via evaporation. Okay, so you can give up a portion of yourself and put out a fire. Sure. But then you need to like restore that portion of myself. Yeah. I was shooting very deliberately for super useless powers. (laughs) I think there are applications for them. Again, like you said, firefighting, a little bit of static electricity goes a long way as far as crime fighting is concerned. And then just being able to be a vapor does allow for like infiltration, sneaking, whatever. But now here's the thing with Kid Cloud is he mostly just uses his power to float around, dude, doing nothing, helping no one. People are like, Kid Cloud, please save us. And he's kind of like, meh, whatever. I'm feeling too anodonic today to do any of that. I'm just going to float around, man. So I don't want to turn this into like another hugely deep episode, but he said you converted these from some of your insecurities to make them superpowers. Got mostly to do with just like laziness getting in the way of goal achieving in some cases. And so I said it before and I'll say it again. I kind of got a bit of cloud envy. It's always been kind of a background fantasy of mine to just be able to kind of float and just hang around and be like super cushy and cozy and just kind of float above the world looking at cool shit and drifting around in the wind. And so I use this as a vehicle to kind of explore that cloud envy and then I realized as soon as I came up with cloud themed powers that like I would straight up use them for nothing but relaxing and probably wouldn't get anything major accomplished actually something I am just remembering now Ryan because I came up with uh, the name of the team my superhero would join if he joined a team would be uh, the leisure force nice because <laughs> it's like the workforce but it's the leisure force who do you think uh, the colonel would join oh the garden squad dude <laughs> be like the colonel and like tommy tomato and just fucking shit would get weird yes i don't i don't know i don't have a ton of like powers really developed and stuff again i was having such a like a focused week that i kind of wanted to just joke around with myself with the idea of being able to like just really kick it atmospheric levels of chilling that's fantastic though (laughs) so what are the kryptonites right so kid cloud's weaknesses are uh air pollution makes him sneeze allergy like symptoms and then of course high high pressure systems (laughs) (laughs) okay and does he have an arch nemesis is it like mr nine to five (laughs) (laughs) see now here's the thing is i didn't write a nemesis i just kind of fantasized mostly with stories in which like other heroes would be like kid cloud please we need your help and he'd just kind of be like uh like whatever (laughs) so i'm not certain who his like directly who his arch nemesis would be but like maybe maybe some kind of very try hard unlazy like a lex luther style character somebody working very very hard to do evil stuff yeah but that, i mean that's all i got the only other thing i have here ryan is i did draw myself as kid cloud which i will send your way right now in the slack kid cloud yo he is just he's me in a leotard ryan i love it
I didn't draw anything. I think this makes up for my backstory is you drew your guy. So, yeah, I, I mean, if you take a look here, it's just my mustache and backwards hat and uncut hair combo. He looks pretty lazy. You can see he's got a bit of a sunburn, which, while not a direct weakness, is something I would struggle with if floating around in the atmosphere. That's true. 100% you would. Yeah, this is a great drawing. You're so much more artistic than me. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it when you say you like my drawings. Yeah, no, you're just a good, you're good at drawing, man. I can't draw. I write, you draw. We're the perfect combo. We really are. We are a superpower in ourselves, Ryan. But yeah, that's really all I did with comic books. I didn't explore too terribly much, you know, whatever. It just, I played around with the idea of powers and how my laziness could maybe be magnified by a certain set of powers but overall whatever it was a fun week it was a bit of a breather week and i needed it with the ip and everything yeah so i don't know it was a bit of a throwaway week for me but one thing i do want to ask before we jump into the big three here ryan if you were gonna be published by any of the major comic book companies who do you think the colonel would fit in best alongside Ooh. Man, great question. And you know what? Like, I prefer DC, but I can't think of, like, any DC hokey. Like, they're all kind of hokey. Like, Superman's kind of hokey and sure. stuff. But I mean, like, intentionally hokey. Right. It's got, like, a Deadpool vibe to it almost. Yeah. If anything, maybe I could turn it into, like, a dark comedy and go with, like, a Vertigo under DC. Because that's how much more I prefer DC over Marvel. But if I had to compare it directly to what it could be, it'd be like a Deadpool, and then it's under Marvel. So if you're asking me which one do I want, DC, Vertigo Umbrella. Sure. Uh, where I want to be. I want to be there with Swamp Thing and the Watchmen and <laughs> freaking the Colonel. I mean, to answer the same question, Ryan, I'm a Marvel kid, but I think honestly... Kid Cloud would fit in better. Similar to you, man. I think I'd go for the Vertigo Justice League. Like, Justice League Dark, I think, is my my dream team there. Like, Constantine and Swamp Thing and that witch lady whose name I can't remember. And now just there's a lazy Cloud guy, you know? He's just like, you guys go on. I'll get you later. Yeah. Where are you? When are you getting here? Oh, man. You know, the wind's kind of chilled out. Yeah. It's going to take a bit. Whatever. Bro, relax. <laughs> <laughs> relax, dude. Yo, THC is so funny. Yeah, right? <laughs> Especially, like, if you didn't do it intentionally. I didn't. My first rough draft of the human cloud, I have scratched THC off his chest because I wrote it in and went, oh, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm a DC guy. Marvel is Marvel. Marvel has some great stuff, and they're also the biggest garbage movie factory on the planet. Yeah, man, I haven't watched any of those superhero movies. I watched Logan. Logan is more along the lines of, like, the newer Batmans, where it's a little darker, And but I'll go with the new Batmans over any Marvel movie 100 times out of 100. Those Batman movies were sick. Speaking of huge, giant, mega trilogies... <laughs> Big three. Stellar transition, Ryan, and welcome to the big three, the segment in the show where we discuss our week. I don't even know why I'm explaining it. It's so fucking self-explanatory. So, Ryan, uh, let's get let's get cracking <laughs> with honest effort. What was your honest effort this week? Remember last season, I'd always start this off by going, honestly, yeah, <laughs> just, like, just feeding that negative. So I'm going to leave this in and say, honestly... <laughs> My effort was a two because I did spend way too long agonizing over what I was going to write. And then when I wrote, I got way too into it. Bit of a pendulum swing there, right? Yeah. And then when I was writing, though, it was fun. And like, I would have just been watching Netflix anyways, so it didn't feel like a chore, like an effort, you know? So, you know what? Two and a half. No, two. 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 
Two, stick it to two, because it, was, it wasn't hard. It was hard to think of something, but then once I started writing, it wasn't hard. Even though it took me a while, it wasn't hard. I enjoyed it, so it didn't feel like I was putting in a huge effort. Sounds legit to me. Two on the nose. How about the impact, Ryan? What was the impact of creating your comic book origin story? Okay, this is a difficult question for me, <laughs> because I classically overthink everything with my ADHD and my anxious brain, and I'm like, I don't want to lie to the people ever. Every time he asks this question and I didn't pre-write something, I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) But I am going to give this a 3.5. No, too high. (laughs) I'm going to give this a 3.25. Okay, now justify to me the 3.25 impact of writing a popcorn kernel origin story. Yes. So. (laughs) (laughs) i'll explain impact i have not written like adult fun fiction ever in my life i've never and i'm a writer i love to write things i love poetry i love friggin we've established that you are a writer for sure yeah that's what i enjoy and i've never done this kind of writing and i had so much fun doing that so that's one point on the impact scale number two the second point is writing this it might have sounded corny Uh, (laughs) but in writing this i got so into it that i reached out to my dad for information about my grandfather and his birthplace oh fuck word i reached out to my aunts sherry and tammy for ukrainian dance moves i started googling like (laughs) agricultural like geneticists yeah (laughs) right i got weirdly into this stupid little story and that aspect of it for me not just writing something but like being invested is my next point that's two points i mean that checks out i like that and my last 1.25 points is when you reach out to people for stuff like this you're a douchebag if you don't have a conversation on how life is right and i had some really good conversations with relatives i haven't talked to in a while and during covid times when you are losing touch with people you can get a little down and having those talks catching up with my aunt telling her about things that we have going on things that are going on was a huge boost in my morale huge boost in my spirit that is the impact 3.25 3.25 actually that's three and then 0.25 honestly i kind of want to write this character i think it's super funny so there's your, my your fucking 2.5. final 0.25 of the impact is because yeah you know what? maybe this goes somewhere yeah i mean that's great you did it again ryan you managed to take one of these experiences and turn it into something therapeutic and part cathartic i like it it's honestly one of your superpowers ryan is your ability to kind of find meaning in all of this nonsensical shit i throw your way so great job with that and lastly ryan do you think you'll do it again oh this is i don't know if i'll ever write another origin story right i guess like yeah (laughs) if we're going with the wording yeah like i might tweak this one but like a whole new character you know what yes because no no it's a no i might be lying but to be honest in this moment am i ever gonna fully write another backstory for a fictional character when i don't know if i want to write fictional characters in my writing If that's for me, no. Right at this moment, no. But if I do end up writing the kernel, (laughs) 
then yeah, I'll have to write <laughs> yeah. other backstories. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's that's like a tentative. That's a tentative no. We'll say. Yeah, it's a tentative no. I'm not seeking to actively do this. Right. Fair enough. But that's me. All right. Obviously, I got weird with this one. <laughs> you had a busy old week, my friend. Honest effort. Um, the honest effort on this was as low as you would expect. I'm at like a 0.75 here. I, I an activity and then treated it like something that I could literally do in breaks between my classes this week. I just hammered it out sitting at my desk. Sometimes while I was like in class not paying attention, I just kind of doodled. Relatively low effort from the kid. And I mean... Hey, that reflects in my hero. It all ties together. What's up? But uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't give her tits on this one, unfortunately. No, that's fair, man. I completely get it. It was one of those activities, and I, I'm sorry, listener, but sometimes, you know, we don't get paid for this. We got to set ourselves <laughs> up for a week. Unless Monsanto decides to sponsor us instead of suing us into oblivion. Exactly. Like we have to set ourselves up. Me and Derek both have jobs. Derek was studying for like the most important professional test you ever had in your life and I knew that that was going to occupy a lot of time but you still made an entertaining character and I think that is something that you're not giving enough credit for is well okay I'm, we're not talking about impact yet here though Ryan we are talking about effort and I put very little in I'm just organically pretty amazing your ability to on your feet just quickly do something that is good and entertaining like is underrated so something like this the way your brain works i could see it not ha- being a huge chore for yeah you. like i always say ryan if you're gonna host it coast it as a 0.75 i stand by it obviously the impact for someone who enjoys comic books but didn't put a huge effort in could be a mixed bag. Tell me about now, it. Now, you know what, dude? I'm going to give this a higher impact than I think it would have deserved at any other point in my life. But given the week I was having, having this is just kind of like something to kind of like fantasize over in the background of my head when I was, you know, feeling otherwise pretty stressed. Something to kind of doodle and fidget with a little bit. I appreciated having it as a de-stressing tool during what has been, you know, effectively a pretty stressful week for me. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 3.8, which given the amount of effort, I don't think, you know, the, the effort in the impact are kind of a little dissonant here but again just this could have been almost anything but because of the week i was having in that time and place and in that space this wound up being fairly impactful for me as a de-stress tool i love to hear it man so with that said derek will you do this again i don't think so ryan similar to you dude there's a lot of stuff i like to write but i don't think fictional caricature is one of them necessarily you know what i'm I'm just gonna say no i'm I'm not gonna i was gonna the will they would they think like I'm i'm just gonna say no i won't Actually, no, fuck it. That's not true because anytime I've ever played a video game, I come up with a fictional backstory for my role-playing character. I do this constantly, actually. Yes, I will do it the next time I boot up Skyrim. I was going to say, anytime we do anything that's role-playing again, you're going to have to. And there's some options out there. We did hit some LARP talk last week. We did talk about LARP. So yeah, you know what? For will I do it again? Then yeah, of course. Perfect. And do you know what, Ryan? I think that does it. That's uh, those three little letters on the end of this episode. Finn, my man, we created our origin stories. But that also means that it is now your turn to pick for next week, Ryan. What are you thinking? Derek, you know what? I feel like our last two have been kind of mail-in ones where we didn't have to put a ton of effort into it, and it showed in the big three for both of them. So I think we need to kind of kick things up a notch. Oh, is that a Chef Emerald reference you're making? Bam! Bam! <laughs> Derek, this week, I want to see some production value. I want to see that new fucking cast iron. I want to see your little fucking dumpling strainer. You've been talking about all this shit. You've been talking <laughs> about the food shows that you watch. You've been talking about how good of a cook you are multiple times. It's true. Money where your mouth is, bitch. We're going to do some instructional 
YouTube cooking channel videos. Oh man, I'm so hype on this. This is very much a gift to me, Ryan. I can't wait to uh, out myself as actually being terrible in the kitchen after so much hyping. <laughs> you know what? I believe that you're good in the kitchen. I believe that you're going to do a good job. I also believe that you're going to have fun doing this one. So I felt that even though it will be laborious and especially this kind of wine, I know this is going to be a big effort one for you because of how much you talked about being good at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I've already got a pretty nice dinner planned tomorrow for my girlfriend's birthday, so I'm just going to film myself cooking that. Yeah, well, we'll see if the video's good, though. <laughs> we'll see Ooh. if the video's good, though. But yeah, I figured this one is fun, something we can do, something we can put effort into. Editing videos sucks. I've had to do it many times. Editing is no fun. Multiple camera angles if you can. If not, who cares? Just do that single camera over the counter. But whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do, we want cooking videos and we want some sort of production value on it. And just for fun, just for fun, Derek. Fun. One extra stipulation. You must develop a kitchen catchphrase. Oh, fuck. Okay. I thought you were going to give me a mandatory ingredient or something, Iron Chef style, but a kitchen catchphrase? I can do that. I can do that. This is going to be a fun week. I think it'll be a fun week too. And I think going to use a little more elbow grease and dig in a little harder on this one, especially because it is one of those more competitive ones where you can see it head to head too so i'm excited for that but that about wraps up this week's episode of the one new thing podcast first and foremost thank you to you the listeners without you guys it would just be two dicks talking to themselves in a zoom chat all right thank you so much for tuning in as always you can find the visual representations of our podcast on instagram at one new thing podcast special thanks to our guest this week kevin rodatelli you can find his instagram at kevin underscore rodatelli dot comics or to check the notes in our show bio because that's probably a lot easier than remembering what i just said check out his graphic novel freak snow as well facts and stats music provided by rebecca juline if you liked this episode you can find it and others like it wherever you found this one hey derek yeah right proud of you i'm proud of you too man For us all, Urokusaki, but something much worse comes for you. For when you die, it will. <laughs> Without honor. Oops! Is <laughs> that Casey Jones? Straight up murder shredders with an oops in the back of a garbage truck. <laughs>